you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The Around the NFL Podcast. Ooh, Welcome. Oh, I was not ready for that. Welcome, welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hanses, and I'm joined by a room filled with heroes, Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What up, boys? Hey, Dan. Best opener of the year. Got Dan Hanses laughing. I did not see that coming. I don't even know when Matt Money Smith like rolls into the studio to drop these, these updated drops, but he just nailed a, a jaunty. Honest there. That was great. It was funny. TD? Yeah, he collected some from all our Twitter followers. Thank you again. Hashtag money tags for sending in your ideas. And I think TD just put some into production without even talking to us. But that's good. TD, good behind the glass, how are you, buddy? How's it going, guys? Yes, this is some stuff from our Twitter listeners and chiming in. And I've been trying to, after every show, I let them know if they got their money tag in the mm. show. So people are happy. excellent. I yeah, just so like, it's anytime you will the not people... be paid out there who are unpaid are taking uh, work off our plates. Mm. And it's just less work for us to do to the point where we're going to be doing nothing Not soon. Not very enjoyable. Yeah, pretty soon we're going to call them for the Panthers-Bengals game just to tell us what happened. Yeah, if there's, <laughs> if there's a listener out there that can create a robot that speaks like me and can get to Culver City, let's do that too. <laughs> all right, so big week, week six. This is the week six Sunday night show. Uh, this is where we go over all the games, as as you know, as listeners, and if you're a new listener, welcome to the Stitcher Award-winning Around the NFL podcast. Uh, big, big week again for the Cleveland Browns. We'll get into that, Mark. Very exciting. But I'm sorry, we can't start with them because... I wasn't lobbying to start there. But here's the good news. We're going to talk about the big game at the clink first. And Mark Sessler will be happy to talk about that game, I got a feeling, based on some of the conversations we had in the let's previous podcast. Um, so let's get into it. The Dallas Cowboys are for real, gentlemen. DeMarco Murray's 15-yard touchdown run with less than four minutes to play was the difference in a 30-23 win over the defending, Seahaw- defending champion Seahawks at Century Link Field. Tony Romo wildly outplayed Russell Wilson, who threw a game-ending pick and only threw for 126 yards. Chris Wessling, this to me is the game where we can no longer deny that the Cowboys are a potential NFC contender, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I thought it would be a blowout. I was dead wrong. It could have gone that way at one point. It looked like uh, Byron Maxwell dropped a pick six that would have made it 17 to nothing. The crowd was all fired up. It looked like we were heading toward that territory. The game turned around. The Cowboys took control and dominated from there. It's amazing to me that the Cowboys, who have played with the same game plan every week in terms of their running game and possessing the ball, good tackling on defense, were able to impose their will and really play their style of game, 401 yards, almost doubling 
Seattle, and they had the ball almost 38 minutes. So it was really Dallas controlling this entire game. Yeah, there's a couple things going on there. Their offensive line, of course. Seattle, Bobby Wagner missed a good portion of the second quarter, and the Cowboys, the total yards in the second quarter was like 120 to 13 or something. Uh, Maxwell got hurt. Cam Chancellor looked like a, a shadow of himself. He was limping throughout the game. So there was that factor. And then third downs. The Cowboys were awesome on third downs. Romo was great. And the Seahawks, it seems like every time they get in a third down, their offensive line gets a penalty. You made a good point that this was not unlike the strategy that San Diego used to eat up the clock and take care of business against Seattle this season. Well, that's the blueprint that, that the Chargers use, and that seems to be the blueprint that the Cowboys use every game. Right, which is possess the ball as long as possible and pick up third downs. Like, good luck. You have to be a really good team, but the Cowboys have been able to do that. We're kind of burying the lead here, though. Sessler, this is the, the hey. pick of the year. Actually, I think if TD can help us out with this, I think we actually have a clip of something Mark Sessler said on the prior show. <laughs> Well, I'm not saying it's logical, and you could you could look a million ways at this game and say it's not possible, but I have this strange uh, sensation that the Dallas Cowboys are going to go up to Seattle and do what other teams cannot do. Mark, who doesn't typically seek to bring up his own <laughs> glories, in this case, reached out to me downstairs in the newsroom wow. and said, hey, remember when I uh, predicted that? But you deserve all the credit. Well, because if, if, if anyone that reads our site were to go look at our picks that were made, you know, sometime early last week, long before anything's known about any game, I don't know why they make us do that. So, you know, as the week wore on, I, you, after that discussion, switched it over this morning, Sunday morning to Dallas and, well, this is, you know, come on. we've been talking about this all season so far that you tend to make predictions on the podcast and then not do them uh, when it comes to our picks this time. This might have been a lesson that you should follow through on your dreams. Sometimes they come true. Get bold. Well, very often they do not. So it has served me well to have, you know, a foot in both in both pools. But in this case, I I went for it. Good job, buddy. And uh, DeMarco Murray, by the way, 29 carries, 115 yards and that touchdown. That's a six straight game over 100 yards. Also, 29 carries again. He is continuing to run the ball at an insane level. They've got to slow down his workload. Is there any concern here about the Seahawks? I mean, they got dominated in San Diego for the most part. I mean, they got outplayed in that game. They got outplayed in this game. The last time they were at home, they went to overtime against a team that they drubbed in February. I think you can look at these five games and, and say that they're not playing to that level. And yet you said going into this game, you think they're a better team this year than last. I, st- I don't know. I it's still not do. really showing up. I still do. If we would have had this conversation after any one of their losses last year, you would have said the same thing, that they're not, they're not that dominant. But I think they are. I think this was just a one-game aberration. It, you even said yourself in the Broncos game, Seattle controlled that for 59 minutes sure. and dominated. So, I mean, to me, they still are the best team in the NFL, in my opinion. Mike Nugent pushed a 36-yard field goal attempt wide right on the final play of overtime in the Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals had to settle for a 37-37 tie with the Panthers. That is the highest-scoring tie, gentlemen, in the history of the NFL. (laughs) Cam Newton went nuts in this game. He looked like himself, threw for 284 yards, ran for 107 yards, but that still wasn't enough. A stinking tie. There's nothing worse than ties that ruins the symmetry of the entire league. But that's what we got here. The third straight season with a tie. Nothing is more symmetrical than a tie, though. That's right. what's yeah. odd about your statement. You know what? Yeah. I didn't mind the tie in this one because it was such an evenly played back-and-forth game. Neither team uh, could get you know a big lead in it. It was like one big play after another from both teams. It felt like they deserved the tie. Well, the Ties are unimaginable. The kicker blew it. 36 yards. Mike Nugent, who the Jets, by the way, in case you forgot, invested a second-round pick in <laughs> the once Nuge. upon a time. The Nuge blew the game for Andy Dalton, who should have walked away with a win. He played very well in overtime, 7 of 8, I believe. That's, they should have walked out with a win, but instead it's a tie. It's a, a tough way to not win, to lose on a kick like that. But they were only in overtime. A tie. You could make the argument they were only in overtime because of Dalton, because they're in the red zone up 17-10 in the third quarter, and he throws an awful Andy Dalton red zone interception. And in the next drive, he throws an awful floater over the middle that gets intercepted, and those two plays really turned around a game in which Cincinnati's offense, for the most part, did what they wanted. And we got to give credit to Dalton, too, for playing well in the fourth quarter, getting into OT and setting up the game winner. I had a, I had a football coach that said that ties are like kissing your sister. 
Mm. Now, I don't have a sister, not so Not a I very can't. original coach, by the way. All right. I'm not saying that's the first <laughs> like guy that said Sperano that. like Tony Sperano of coaching. Well, he's a coach. Speaking too. of which, I dug a hole in the newsroom <laughs> and buried Riverboat Ron's nickname. Oh, oh. What happened? He, they had a chance to go for a touchdown on fourth and one or – pick up the first down, and he opted for a field goal to tie To tie when he knew likely that would end the game in a tie. It just, like That's going to come back to haunt them later this season. Mm. They're going to need that win. Well, in his, his defense of that was that it was too, lo- it was too long. It wasn't really a yard. And his that defense was, true. was I couldn't see how long it was. That's not how Riverboat it, Ron was last year. Yeah, I, I almost always say you should always go for it, but it, it's, it's a huge difference, obviously, between a tie and a loss. And the fact that if they picked up first down there, they don't win the game. They still have to, you know, score the touchdown. I didn't have a huge problem. They could have had time to stop them on defense and get the ball back. I like. I didn't think it was that crazy to lock up a tie right there. When even if you pick up the fourth down, it's like you still got to go score a touchdown. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed to score. I do think it's encouraging that when you don't have A.J. Green, you still go out and score 37 points. Yeah. But la- I think that the Bengals, prior to having Hugh Jackson – these are the kind of games they would have gone completely dead to the world on offense. They're, do, they're able to game plan without their best player in there. That tells me something. And how about Cam Newton going over 100 yards? He's starting to look like himself again. Yeah, 100 yards on the ground. They decided this is the week. Cam Newton is ready. He's going to start running. Read action for a ton of the game. He had a touchdown on the ground, picked up a lot of big first downs. It was almost like they decided to do it too much. I mean, in overtime, he was running every play, but it adds such a different element. He is playing as well, I think, as, what is he, a top five quarterback now? Maybe top seven or eight, but he's playing very well Hmm. right now. Give him extra credit for being able to run after Vontez Burfecht played the heel and a wrestler distracted the ref and twisted Cam Newton's ankle. Ooh. Twisted at the bottom of the pile, and right, right. I think mm. I think should be suspended for it. Wow! Of course, I Wesley like comes heat. down with a hammer. Wow, that is some it's like dirty. sports if you talk radio the, heat. If you watch the video, it's dirty. I'm gonna write that down right now. One <laughs> as a possible quote that we can send out on Twitter after, and then two, we should do a post on that tomorrow morning. We should. I Perfect. Like and I think we should suspend Mike Nugent for having now eight <laughs> seven and one and a ten five and one at the end of the season. Gross. I can't wait till Burpick shows up at your apartment. Pac-Man Jones pretty much indicated after his game he'd be happy if Nugent is no longer at the team the next time he shows up. He, he was so upset about the missed kick. He's a man of good character. Burpick shows up at my apartment. <laughs> I'll just challenge him to a game of cornhole. It's <laughs> <laughs> fair. As you guys can see with me in my Manchester United jersey, I'm a soccer fan, right? So ties are cool with me. You know what's not cool with me? An overtime and then a tie. Come on. Get, right. Choose one. Yeah. You know, decide. Choose one. That's how the game Soccer works. Soccer guys always got to chime in with their tie thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Rodgers threw a four-yard touchdown pass to Andrew Corliss with three seconds to play, lifting the Green Bay Packers to a 27-24 win over the Miami Dolphins. The four and two Packers have won three straight, and they almost let this one get away. But, Wes, they took care of business ultimately. Yeah, I think – you could say that Philip Rivers is the hottest quarterback in the NFL, but Aaron Rodgers is right there with him. He's had three straight very good games. He was perfect on the opening drive in this game and then had an just an ideal two-minute uh, drill to end the game where he did the uh, Dan Marino fake spike and then came back and hit Ooh, Corliss. With I love that. Yeah. On the Dolphins. Yes. You want to know wow. who called that play? Who? A quarterback by the name of Bernie Kosar, who was a backup. You're referring Marino. to the – Jets fake spike victim game. Absolutely. That I attended. Yes. It all goes back to Bernie. <laughs> hey, who cares about this Rodgers Well, they're also fella. saying that Bernie Kosar is the reason the Herschel Walker trade went down the way it did. So uh, deeply right. ingrained in many histories. He's like the Kevin Bacon of the NFL. Bernie Kosar is awesome. Wes, go on. <laughs> well, the, Tannehill started out with one of the worst first halves of his career, bounced back with Touchdown drives of 80, 80, and 77 yards in the second half with both Packers starting cornerbacks injured. Uh, so they made it a game, but the Packers came roaring back, and it all it all came down to that one two-minute drill drive. I love it when a game comes down to one play. That doesn't happen enough in the NFL. And this was one of those fourth down, one play, you know, that's it. It's over. And then who steps up? Who, who else but Andrew Corliss? Rogers, I'm just going to say it, the biggest moment of Andrew Corliss's career. Rodgers called that play on the field, pointed at Corliss right before the snap, 
and then threw it to him with a linebacker in coverage. Do we think more of the Dolphins now because of this game? or Because they lost? Well, I don't know that they should have had it. They, they gave up there. 10 points, I guess, in the last five minutes, so that's not a good thing. Do we think less of the Packers? That's three straight wins for them now. I don't think more of the Packers or less of the Dolphins. It was one of those things where the Packers looked better in the first half and then the Dolphins kind of got on a roll in the second half, but the better team came out on top. Wes, people are going to look at the box score, and they're going to say, oh, Eddie Lacy, 40 yards off 14 carries. And without seeing – you saw the game, you watched every play. Is that – what was going on there? He's the same running back he's been all year. When there's holes, he can run through them, but he, he can't really do anything without holes. And the Dolphins' defensive line was much better than the Packers' offensive line in this game. And Sean Moreno returned to action just six carries, got 10 yards. So and was much pretty much absent in the second half. They decided to go with the hot hand and Lamar Miller. And you're you're falling in love with uh, Jarvis Landry. I am. I I love what he can do after the catch. He's really good on kickoff returns too. To me, I, he already looks more dangerous than Brian Hartline. Dolphins are a little. I don't know. This their story is yet to be written. I feel like they've got enough there that they could still be a little dangerous. I'm yeah, not sure the, some of the people there will be there to, for long enough to write the <laughs> end of that story. Tom Brady continued his hot play, throwing for 361 yards at four touchdowns and a 37-22 win for the New England Patriots over the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. The Bills have lost three of their last four games. And Greg Rosenthal, Tom Brady, and the Patriots offense back on track? Now they are. I think this was more impressive than what they did against Cincinnati offensively to go to Buffalo and face that defense, especially from Brady's perspective. I feel like... The worries about Brady early in the season can calm down a little bit because he threw for 361 and four touchdowns on a day where he didn't have great protection. He got hit a decent amount. They didn't have a running game at all. It looks like they've lost Stephen Ridley for the season. The fear is that he tore his ACL. He was their leading rusher with 23 yards, and yet they still lit him up with a lot of deep plays down the field. They were a, Right away, they wanted to go deep on Buffalo, test their secondary, and it worked. Makes sense. I mean, they have a banged up secondary right now. But I want to ask a question. You know, we, Wesleyan talked about Sammy Watkins. He's looked like he's going to be much better with Orton at the helm. What went on with that passing game with uh, Darrell Revis on the other side? Well, they are using Revis like they should now, not in zone some of the times and man some of the times. They're locking him up against the opposing number one. He locked up Watkins today. There wasn't a target for the entire first half of the game. Watkins made a nice 20-yard play that almost was a touchdown. But other than that, basically didn't do anything. And Revis, you know, he, he's maybe not the Revis of old, but he's a high-quality starter. I mean, he shut down Greg Jennings for a game. Now he shut down Sammy Watkins. I'm seeing some promising things here. Brandon LaFell, four for 97 and two touches, including a 56-yard <laughs> touchdown reception. And Gronk, seven for 94, did not find the end zone, but looks like he could be getting back to his old self. I think he's looked a little better the last – Two weeks, he had a couple big drops in this game, a couple mental uh, mistakes, a, a touchdown got taken away from him. I was a little more excited about Brian Timms. Oh. I don't even know how to say that name. Undrafted, third-year player. He was once on the 49ers. Played was, really well in the preseason. He was suspended for the first four games. They need someone who can go down the field. He made a gorgeous 43-yard touchdown catch right after Aaron Dobson made a mental mistake to, to give them a third-and-long situation. I started thinking maybe that's the moment – Dobson stays on the bench, and Tim starts playing. And C.J. Spiller had the third highest number of carries on his own team. <laughs> That's bizarre. What do <laughs> you think about C.J. Spiller right now? I told Greg last week that my, I, for my position rankings this week, I want to do top ten guys in need of a change of scenery, and C.J. Spiller would be tops on the list. That makes sense. Is he the next Marshawn Lynch where Buffalo doesn't know how to <sighs> use him? He goes somewhere else and becomes a star? I absolutely think that. I mean, we saw how Chan Gailey was able to get him in space consistently. And he was one of the best running backs in the league two, two years ago. And now he just doesn't fit this offense that they run. Right. They had Anthony Dixon playing a lot early. It wasn't like he came in late when, you know, this was a very close game. You have to give Orton and the Bills offense credit because they kept it close. They kept scoring in the second half. Orton's helped that offense a lot. I know they lost this game, but ultimately I think they're going to be – I don't know. I where's, think they're going to be pretty good. Where's Mike Williams? Mike Williams was a healthy scratch. Might, really? Might be something hmm. to that. But 7-11, caught hmm. five passes. There you go. Always open. And by the way, Greg, I, you're feeling better now, right? You had all that adversity as a Patriots oh, for a couple stop. of weeks. Like five days where there was a little bit of doubt in the air. But now 
Back to heaven on earth. Well, and, and so, Dan, they play the Jets, what, Thursday night? Oh, yeah, on a short week. Right, Let's have, go to have, Foxborough. Have we got into that inevitable territory that happens right around mid-October every year where this embattled New England club mm. rips off ten straight wins and mm. puts to bed the troubles of late September? They're 4-2 and two now. They're already in first place, right, I guess? Yeah, uh, yep, and they're basically, <laughs> you know, they're 5-2 and two when we wake up Friday morning. Yeah, they'll be 12-4, and four, like they always are. That's that's really hard to do with a washed-up quarterback, too. That's true. I didn't even mention, by the way, this this was a painful victory. Not even kidding. Two of their key players, Jared Mayo, the leader on their defense, has a serious knee injury. Sounds like that could be a long time, if not the season. Ridley's out for the season. They don't really have another guy like him. Just saying. Tough I, times for you. No, all, these are tough times for Greg. Things. This yeah. is when Brandon Bolden rushes for 1,000 yards. Yeah. <laughs> I also can't believe that Rob Gronkowski made a mental mistake. That's a stunner. <laughs> He's the only guy who was ever celebrated after recovering a fumble that turned out it was an incompletion anyways, that he screwed up three different times. He's the best. The rising Cleveland Browns flip the script on the Pittsburgh Steelers, dominating dominating their longtime nemesis in a 31-10 route in Cleveland on Sunday. Ben Roethlisberger falls to 18-2 in his career against the Browns, who improved to 3-2 on the season. I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of tweets as I seem to be getting every week now during games on Sundays. What, what's Sessler's reaction right now? And once again, I will let let me explain how this works. We're talking about this downstairs for people that are curious. When the Browns are playing poorly, and when the Browns are down, and things are going, everything's going to hell. Sessler looks like a guy that wants to crawl under a rock, like when a dog gets sad, like gets hit by a car. Sometimes it will go and will find like some brush to lay under to go die. That's kind of the way Sessler looks. He, he's in pain. He's a lot of rubbing his face and shaking his head, and he's not talking to anyone. When the Browns are playing well, you would think there would be a hide to that low. No, when the Browns are playing well, it's just complete radio silence, but there's no pain in his face. So I guess you, that's Mark's celebration. Well, I want to make one distinction here. <laughs> yeah. As soon as Cool and the gang uh, settle down. Yeah. Part of the issue is, you know, we are we are working during these things, and while I'm the inside of me is in turmoil over what's happening over the Browns game, I am, you know, out of the other eye, trying to piece together a readable uh, review of what happened in a Titans Jaguars fest. That when I looked at the story seven hours later, had one comment. So it's like I am involved in the game, the most boring game of that. Sunday. I don't well, believe that. No, because let's, no, let's that, would, on this that would only check out, though. Oh, you're checking on the comments? Oh, yeah, I'll I'm, be the stat I'm boy correct. This No, show. this would only check out, oh, You're though. right. It really only, does only have one. Okay. <laughs> we are not no longer covering the Titans. That's it. It's Thank over. Thank you. Uh, there's this team. Uh, but seriously, that wouldn't check out because you <laughs> you are upset when you're losing. And no, I think you. I think any anyone that's followed a team that's struggled, especially for so long in its own division, like it just it doesn't even tonight. Maybe when I so, get home, I'll have a nice glass of wine. I'll be like, wait, we just knocked the Steelers off yeah, at home. Ooh, you're going we. Uh, ooh, I like, I like that. That's good. Yeah. Good. So let's talk about the game. How did the Browns dominate the Steelers? How did it happen? You know, it was more of what's brought. They've been very skittish in, in games. They've been dominated for a half, and then they'll come back. And they don't abandon the run, and they'll make Brian Hoyer, who makes a certain amount of throws every game, make some big throws. It's what happened today, and it, they just didn't get down early. You know, they looked completely lost halfway through the first quarter. I think they had negative eight yards at one point after a series of drives, and then Hoyer Hoyer only completed eight passes in this game, but they were completions of 51, 31, 31, 24, and 17 yards. Wow. Made some big passes. Uh, Jordan Cameron got involved. And, you know, they, they had Terrence West, the rookie running back, as a healthy scratch. But Tate and Isaiah Crowell, they ran well. I mean, they lost Alex Mack early in this game for what we think is potentially a season-ending broken, leg, broken right? lower leg. And they shifted a few guys around that offensive line. It, it's not it, – I'm not talking to – comparing them to Dallas, but they're good for one similar reason is that they finally have a good offensive line. And you're kind of in every game when that's the case. They, they overpowered – Pittsburgh, and I have the bigger question I have is looking after what I watched the Pittsburgh Jaguars game last week and saw them today. I, I don't understand what is happening with that they're with that offense. It's so talented, but they're but they're not. They they couldn't do anything. Cleveland had four starting defensive linemen not in the game today, and essentially controlled the line of scrimmage for at least, 
least so what, a big plays. What was the problem with the Steelers' offense? They they could not convert big third downs. The, it, watching Big Ben go eighteen and one before this game, it could be third and ten, it could be third and twenty two. He always finds a way to get down the field. They just continued to get Pittsburgh off the field. They were they were zero three in the red zone, and Cleveland was three or three. And you figure that stuff evens out, but that's been happening to the Steelers that they're bad in the red zone that they're getting a lot of yards not getting a lot of points just like very costly penalties or turnovers at bad times they also went away from what was they opened the game in a dominant fashion they ran the ball 15 out of the first 18 plays and it looked like it was going to be a 20 to nothing steamroll right over the Browns but no it did because Pittsburgh was on its game but they kind of it all fell apart Cleveland started to turn the tide I'm remembering a moment uh, early when it was 0-0 <laughs> and the Steelers were driving and Mark was already saying something like, this game's over. Not this game's over, but uh, you, it was something you were saying, you're saying like, well, I, I lost this game. You know, we're not, I was saying something like, now we're all on Team Browns because Dan and I picked them too. So we were we were with you and you're like, Browns well, it was a bad real, pick. You were convinced they were going to lose when it was 0-0. I was. It, well, be, it was because of those when you they had – Three defendants, defensive linemen out, and then a fourth one out, and Pittsburgh was just running up and down the field on them out of the gate. But this is, and this is part of the Browns' culture that is going to start to fade away when they continue to win games like this. There's something going. There's a sea change right now with this franchise. I don't know. I know that this has happened before. We've gotten a little into the Browns maybe in early in the season, then they flame out and lose 11 or 12. I don't think it's happening this year. This is a good look at the schedule: Jacksonville, Oakland, and Tampa Bay. We're, we got to get used to talking about the Browns as a playoff contending team because they're going to pile up some wins in those games, and then they'll just be in the mix. We'll see. <laughs> Ooh, jaunty. jaunty. Axel Peyton, Foley. <laughs> Peyton Manning threw for three touchdowns, and Julius Thomas collected his seventh and eighth touchdown reception of the season, a 24-17 win for the Broncos over the fading New York Jets at MetLife Stadium. Manning, by the way, 504 touchdowns, two behind far for the all-time record, and the Jets... Oh, the Jets have lost five in a row with the New England Patriots coming up now on a short week. Not not an extremely thrilling game when you when you gentlemen watch it. You're not going to be blown away by how the Broncos played or necessarily uh, be you know have your mouth agape about how terrible the Jets are. Uh, but it was just a clearly the better team. The Jets actually got back in it late in the game and got it within a score. Uh, but then Geno Smith, who had to that through the whole game basically for 55 minutes didn't have a turnover which was a minor miracle but then he throws a pick six with less than a minute to go which makes the game look a little more lopsided but bottom line is the Jets stink they're brutal <laughs> and D Milner the first round pick who they counted on so much they counted on him so much to kind of make the leap this season and it's not going to happen it looks like he tore his Achilles tendon uh, during a field goal attempt a, f- a kind of fluke play in the first quarter so you don't have him to kick around anymore, and the Jets are flaming out, and the Broncos are great. I don't get one thing with New York. The leading rusher is Geno Smith with 11 yards. Oh, They tried. They tried to run the ball. This was a bad game for the Jets' offensive line, which has been a beacon of hope on an otherwise lost unit this year. Uh, Chris Ivory couldn't run the ball. Chris Johnson shot, so you don't expect him to do anything. <laughs> And so you don't have that. Eric Decker's back in the game. So he, it's not a coincidence that when Eric Decker is playing and making contributions, Geno Smith looks better just because the Jets have no skill level talent beyond that. Jason Morrow had a, a pretty decent game. But on balance, mm. it's, again, you're, when you look at the team right now, and, and, and Rex Ryan already announced that uh, Geno Smith is the starter against the Patriots. Not a surprise there. Michael Figg's a non-factor, but the Jets are really now, I feel like, heading towards a transition where they're, they're going to play out this lifeless season. They're going to fire Rex. They're going to draft a quarterback. It seems heading in that direction now. It's, it's like Re- Rex Ryan, obviously known for defense. They've given up 24 or more points in their last four games. Not, not only that, they're supposed to have a shutdown run defense. They give up two straight 100-yard rushers. The whole thing Ronnie started Hillman. to break down. Yeah, to Ronnie it, Hillman and Brandon Oliver. It comes yeah. back to... I think the first-round picks at cornerback, Wilson and Milner killing them week after week for the last – I mean, for Wilson, it's been a few years. And it's even been Ka- devastating. And Calvin Pryor is a safety. I mean, he has not had a breakout rookie season at all. So everything they've tried to do in that secondary <sighs> hasn't hit through the draft. We know it's well-documented. They didn't make an aggressive play in free agency. 
Um, so the back end of the defense kills. Everything is set up and predicated off that back end. So I, I, it's not surprising that the run game is breaking down now as well. There's going to be a forking committee. Oh, I want to give him one more. I Really? It's just Rex. I have so much respect for Rex and the way that this team, every time you've counted him out under Rex, has at least made a rally to respectability that their season's on the line Thursday. I know it, it, you guys think their season's is over, but if they win that game, let's say they get to 2-5, and five, they're only two back of the Patriots in the last column, they can at least start to convince themselves or whatever well, hold on, that they're Greg, in the mix. I'm the just saying... The forking committee is you're, you're making an argument for the Jets as a playoff team. This is what we got in trouble with last year. TD, you brought it. You brought it up a couple uh, shows ago. Well, we'll see. If we're gonna do this fork thing, we got to do it right. Got to do it. We got to have. You got to. You got to get the stones out. It'll and make be like some the overtime picks. rules, right? But it doesn't mean yeah. that you just think yeah. every team with a bad record is done for the season. The Jets no, are but bad. there's certain things the about bad certain team. bad teams. Yeah, they just lost thirty-one to nothing last week. That was pretty bad. They're a bad team. <laughs> I mean, by the way, Dan. Yes. A lot of Twitter listeners have been calling in saying, hey, we need to change that factory sadness job for you and the Jets. Ooh. And I've been holding them all for a while. But if this keeps happening, the Browns keep winning. <laughs> I'm only I'm I don't care. man. Like, that doesn't bother me at all. All I'm going to say is the but Jets. But you're my boy, though. Uh, hey, listen, you're my boy. Right. Wait, but am I not your boy that you've been clearly, dropping factory of sadness <laughs> on my team for like 18 straight I'm weeks? I'm glad you picked that up is. on that, That was Mark. disturbing. But honestly, the Jet, <laughs> as a Jets fan, there's we're, we're so deep into pain and misery that that's not going to bother me. But that's a Browns thing. You don't want to co-op that onto the Jets. We have enough stuff you could. I mean, you could if you want. I could to. find something that we could use for the Jets. Yes. That's up to you. Joe Flacco went nuts today, throwing five touchdowns in the first half, on the way to a way too easy 48-17 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A win for the Ravens. This is the second time in four weeks that Lovey Smith's team has been horrifically embarrassed. The Buccaneers stank, Wes, and Joe Flacco is playing like. Uh, highly paid quarterback should. <laughs> Will a real Joe Flacco please stand up? Mm. He was awful in week one, great in weeks two and three, awful again last week, and today became the first quarterback since the 1970 merger to throw five touchdowns in the first 16 minutes of a game. Wow. He, they had their way with the it's, Bucks secondary. I think for the most part, the real guy has been there this year. He's played – on balance pretty well, and Flacco's never going to be Brady or Manning where he doesn't throw in a stink bomb every three or four games. I think that's just kind of who he is. Where's Flacco on the AD scale? Oh, he's way in front of Dalton. He's well above it. I was just want to see where he was. Jump down my throat. I just want to know where he was. (laughs) He's always – you saw that. That was absurd. (laughs) It was, but, Dan, I have to let you know, even before I produced the show, it was always funny to me how you never understood the AD scale. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm saying how far from the middle – Andy Dalton's in the middle, right? Yeah, for in a new scale. For any new well, listeners, the AD is. scale is the after Dalton scale. It's the way to measure all starting quarterbacks. You're either after Dalton or right. you're not. And, and I would assume if you have a Super Bowl, but that won't work either because you, West, see, this is why it doesn't work. I'm telling you, Eli Manning, I'm sure, is way beyond past uh, Andy Dalton, right, on your scale? He's in front. He's before oh, Dalton. Oh, he is? Yeah. Eli Manning's better than Andy Dalton. All right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think you would ever say that, but. But oh, you really don't like Andy Dalton. I, I, I don't. Is there a list where I can look at this too? Maybe that's why I can't. I have no it. dislike for Andy Dalton, but I know what he is. So is Flacco like the the twelfth best quarterback in the league? Is, I'd say is that somewhere between twelve and sixteen. Okay. What about Steve Smith on the receiver list right now? Steve Smith. They they, they look look. They made a concerted effort to get Torrey Smith involved. He had two first quarter touchdowns, and then Steve got loose for a fifty six yard. Touchdown! He toasted Alteron Burner, and then Mark Barron got a little chippy for the Bucks, so they kept going to Steve Smith, and he'd start pushing Mark Barron just to set set some tone there. I got to tee up Wes because I heard Wes where I said sometimes I can't see him, but I could always hear him. A lot of Mike Lennon uh, shots were being fired, so I'm going to tee up Wes. Why is Mike Lennon not the answer for the Bucks? Mike three and outs Glennon. Ow! Nailed him because he doesn't move the offense until the second half. You killed him for last week's game, though, and you were, watch- you were watching two games at once when that game was on. I swear, if you went back and watched his performance last week, he played fantastic against. He did the- move the ball. He's had for a lot first- of really good moments. He didn't, though, because of protection, right? And because of factors that were out of his control, right? But when Josh McCown doesn't move the team, everybody kind of just rips on him and gives Mike Glennon a free pass. Hey, two wrongs don't make it right, my friend. But Glennon just isn't as good as everyone says he is. He has a big arm, but he's not that good of a quarterback. 
I don't know if you heard it, Mark. You were in the glow of the Browns, but there was some legit heat between the scientists over this. It always concerns me when that happens to our team, and I, <laughs> yeah, I, I was, like I it. could hear it. But I have a, I have a question, or actually, maybe I have a statement. I think the Ravens are this AFC North best team. I agree with that. Uh, They're a complete what? team. Uh, Cecily, come he's, on! What? He's trying to underplay his own Browns. They That's beat bad. the Browns. With a very the you Ravens could say they were are they whipped the Steelers and by beat the, the Browns. By the time this podcast gets to the listeners, I'm best. I'm betting the the Ravens have a top five offense. No betting allowed. Shadow. I'm guessing figure. that they have a top five offense, and they entered the day third in defense. There's not a, a real weakness team. to Baltimore. That, I think that's what we're saying. Yeah. You know what the funny thing is? I completely agree with you. Yeah, I think the Ravens are the I just the, want you to just get favorites. excited, Mark. That's I was convinced they were going to beat Indianapolis last week, and they didn't. Well, they have your favorite player in Justin Forsett. That's not my favorite <laughs> You player. love him. I'm just saying no one, to... no one wants to admit that he's actually, if you just didn't know what name it was on the back of his jersey, if it was Darren Sproles having the season that Justin Forsett was having, people would be putting him on the cover of magazines and things. Averaging six and a half yards per carry. That's pretty good. I think, actually, now that I think about it, going back to Glenn in a second, Wes champion Josh McCown, and he's a making the lead <laughs> candidate on our list, West wants full circle. He wants Glennon yeah. out, McCown yeah. back in, and then the the Buckos win five of the last seven games, and McCown has a nice stat line, and West wins. Yes or no? Well, that wouldn't bother me to see that happen. I just don't like quarterbacks who can't move the move the offense for quarters at a time. Well, and then that's you what had Glennon to. Does. I mean, just to be fair, you had to feel a similar frustration with McCown in this. So it's not just the quarterback's no, problem the in offensive this offense. line can't protect the right. quarterback. Oh, the receivers are slow, and the defense doesn't right. stop anybody. I think this. This Buck season so far hurts Lovey Smith's reputation more than anyone. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. got players on defense. They got to be forked. Enough. We should have forked them two weeks ago. They're yeah. an awful football West team. West has been pushing for this, and you're right. Uh, we shouldn't have waited until they got embarrassed again. We should have known. Well, they the beat Falcons. the Steelers, and that put us all on our field. Should have beat the Saints. The Jacksonville Jaguars had a golden opportunity to win their first game of the season, and they blew it. With Jake Locker sidelined by injury, the Jaguars couldn't find a way to get past Charlie Whitehurst. Charlie Whitehurst, clipboard Jesus. 16-14 loss for the Jags. Josh Scobie, 55-yard field goal attempt on third down, was blocked, deciding the game. Mark, uh, you you were watching this game yes, I very was. closely because that's why you weren't able to celebrate the Browns, as you're saying, uh, according to you. Uh, I want to ask you why on that kick, Josh Scobie, Going for the game-winning field goal, it was on a third down with 12 seconds to play. Why did they not try to get closer? Was there any explanation for that after the game? Number one, I I have no explanation because there there was there was obviously time to try to get maybe one more pass out to the sideline, cut that 55-yard attempt down to something more manageable, and bang, you'd have your first win. I I that's one of the more such mysterious a, moves of the such day. Such a like a loser team. That's the type of stuff that you never see Bill Belichick do something like that. Or uh, or a Jim Harbaugh team. It's always a team like this that ends up making a decision, like, and this is how you lose games. I wanted to like the same. I thought the same thing to a lesser degree in the Bengals game. That why in overtime didn't they try to get a? I know it was a thirty-six yarder, so everyone's gonna say, "Well, you should make one." Well, what's wrong with trying to make it a twenty-yarder? Like, what's couldn't the, agree more. What's the problem with that? And this Bradley one though, it, it it felt like it was just a brain fart. Like he he didn't consider. I I don't know what the thought was. I don't I, I I don't have an answer, and it's it is your you know Dan, you make a good point because I I think before this season there was a lot of optimism around what Jacksonville was so called building, and none of that's present right now. And part yeah. of the issue, and you, we talk about quarterbacks that are hard to really get a read on. I'll take Blake Bortles over Mike Glennon or anyone else that we we have questions about, but he is on an offense with five rookies and an offensive line that gave up six sacks and five quarterback hits today. I mean, it's hard if you're a young player to really develop or make plays in that scenario. Yet he continues to throw. I, I think if you're the, if you're a Jaguars fan and you want to say there's something here to cling ho- to cling to in terms of hope, you have found a quarterback in Blake Bortles. I mean, he was not perfect today, but what's around him is disastrous. Twenty-seven first downs to fourteen for the Titans. So in a lot of ways, the Jaguars controlled the game, and yet they were down two scores for most of the fourth quarter. I mean, the, the Jaguars. Well, the Titans are exactly what we think they are in terms of you've got Charlie Whitehurst as your quarterback. He didn't make major errors today, but last week, you know, Wes, you pointed out that he couldn't find a first down marker on third down passes. A little bit better today, but really just playing a, a defense that was not ready for prime time. I just want to. I, 
want to do a little uh, 0 and 16 heat check here. I'm just t- going to take a look at the schedule. We're 0 and 6 through six weeks for the Jags. At home to the Browns and Dolphins in the next two weeks. It's going to be tough to win those. At Bengals, home to Cowboys, and then they're by at week 11. 0 and 10's in play. Gus Bradley hasn't caught any heat yet. He's been kind of skating free. That's a fair point. He's going to start catching some heat after that field goal call, and I'm I'm really looking forward to his explanation. The Chargers found themselves in a dogfight with a Tony Sperano-led Oakland Raiders in Oakland today. Derek Carr threw four touchdown passes. That's something David Carr never did. Uh, but Brandon Oliver's one-yard touchdown run with less than two minutes of play gave the Chargers a 31-28 win. Uh, that is a game that was ended or sealed when first-round pick Jason uh, Verrett intercepted Carr with 113 to play. It was Carr's only bad mistake. He forced a throw into coverage uh, downfield when they were about midfield with Janikowski, Seabass warming up. This game seemed like it was going to be heading to overtime. It didn't get that way. But I would just want to say Tony Sperano deserves a little bit of credit. I think we at, around the NFL and everyone else that covers football uh, seemed to have some fun with his bury the ball technique on Monday. But the message must have gotten through because this team played a really good game. Mm. I mean, the Raiders, it's not that the Chargers were stumbling and really just kind of took the team lightly and weren't playing well. Chargers played like the Chargers, but the Raiders played like a different team. Uh, Carr looked great, as I said, four touchdowns. And they even got contributions. This name, let me know if it rings a bell. Darren McFadden. Ring a bell, anybody. (laughs) A faint bell. I thought he looked good earlier in the year, too. Oh, so you know him. Yeah, I, th- I think he's been running well. This was by far the best I've seen him in multiple years. He ran great, uh, ran for 80 yards on just 14 carries. Even got a little bit of a pop from Morris Jones Drew. So you're going to need that with this team. You're going to need the running game to help the rookie quarterback. But there was some reason for optimism for the Raiders in this game. I think it's the case of the Chargers. You know, probably inside the organization, word leaked out through a couple different channels that the podcast here picked them as team of ATL and that mm. that's a lot to saddle a lot to carry with mm. you into the game and you know maybe they were a little rusty because of that having to live up to those expectations this is a very special honor here's a interesting tweet from Mike Jarecki of Fox Sports because it's time to, it's the time of the podcast where we give a lot of love to Philip Rivers who deserves it uh, the Chargers quarterback has posted a passer rating of 120 or better in five consecutive games. That is now the longest such streak in NFL history. Phillip Rivers, again, uh, just killing it every week doing He's it. He's having the season I thought Drew Brees was going to have. Yep, and I, one of, I'm going to owe some sandwiches. I thought uh, this is why I went out on a limb on this one. I said Andy Dalton would have a better passer rating than <laughs> Phillip Rivers. <laughs> and by the way, Andy Actually, Dalton's – Dalton's hovering around 100, I believe. So it's not it's not that Andy Dalton's not putting up a, a decent season, but Rivers is just playing beyond what anybody could even expect it from him. I would like to see Mike McCoy get more notice because he's a big part of this. And everywhere he's gone, quarterbacks have succeeded. And, and he's, for me, the re- big reason that Rivers' career is where it's at right now after he, some troubled seasons. He's number two right now in my Coach of the Year rankings behind Tony Sperano. There's, uh, there's, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Sperano turned this thing around. Bury the ball. If we bury the ball, we bury the pass. What team That's has improved more than the Raiders under Sperano? Let's see if all this emotion they spent up was just a one-week thing. The worst, the worst thing that could happen, by the way, is that the Raiders play okay and then they hire Tony Sperano. Yes, as a full-time yeah, you're coach. right. If if you really hate a friend that's a Raiders fan, root for a lot of games like this, and then Sperano for 2015. How about the Chargers' level of trust in Brandon Oliver? Touched the ball 30 times in this game. Yeah, mm. for I think it's his fourth start of or fourth game of his career. They really found something. I I don't know how much credit. I give him credit for him being in their organization, but he, he got uncovered through several injuries. But once it's happened, now they know they have a guy. So I don't. He's wh- way better than Donald Brown. Yeah. When does Ryan Matthews get back? Soon. Any week now. Weeks. That's yeah. a really nice pairing. Those two yeah, guys. Yeah, it go. is. We were worried about the Woodhead loss because he's so good in the passing game, but you know Oliver could be better than Woodhead. Team of ATL. You buried the ball. If you buried the ball, all the mistakes in the past are gone. <laughs> well, totally we just need wrong. to rebury another one. To get this mistake out of the way, and just let's move forward. A good effort. Andy Dalton, by the way, 100.3 passer rating. That's great for the Dalton family, but I'm still getting my sandwich out of Rivers' passer rating. <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> Carson Palmer was a surprise starter for the Arizona Cardinals. 
who bounced back from a blowout loss to the Broncos last week with a 30-20 win over the Washington Redskins. The Redskins are now 1-5. Mark, after you calm down from your internal glories of the Browns, you watch this late game. Uh, can you tell us, how did Carson Palmer look? The nerve firing on all cylinders? <laughs> I thought you know, well. He's a, I think he's a good fit for this offense, and uh, Bruce Arians trusts him. I mean, I, I want to go back and rewatch this again, but his arm didn't seem to obviously be as strong as it has in the past. You know, it's he 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 did make a couple throws though, uh, and a couple beat writers pointed this out. Some across the body throws that suggested that he's not as limited as he might have been even a week ago. I mean, he he did a nice I saw, job. I saw a few tweets where his passes were described, oh, a laser to Michael Floyd or so and so. So I guess. He was doing some things, but I did see. I saw another tweet after the game that perhaps he's not out of the woods yet. He said it himself that he has to go get more treatment. So it's not like this is a done deal now that he's back. Well, what he was only throwing at what forty percent velocity or something a couple days ago, yeah. whatever that means. But it's it. He, so he's not all the way back, but he was capable enough to come in and I think he hit ten different receivers for two hundred and fifty yards, averaged like five point seven yards per pass. I mean, but they've got a lot of weapons in this offense. They're an interesting team. They kept completing really difficult third down throws on the sidelines and over the middle and diving into tight quarters. Like the receivers can make a guy like Palmer or Stanton look a lot better when you have Larry Fitzgerald, John Brown and Michael Floyd putting up highlight reel catches. Yeah, I think that they also, with Arians, he does an ex- in a very, very good job with the, the route combinations. You saw them in these bizarre bunch formations all over the play. Larry Fitzgerald benefited today at his best game of the year, first on, touchdown. On the other side, Kirk Cousins hasn't been an abject disaster, but haven't we seen enough by now to say he just turns the ball over too much? He feels like, to me, when he gets into a bad place, he does not climb out of it. He threw four mm-hmm. picks against the Giants, and some of those, by the end, it was like, this guy's in the wrong place mentally today. He melted down. I mean, he, didn't, he, he and Deshaun Jackson had a good thing going on early, but then he threw a costly interception, and then down the stretch threw two more, and it just it, Washington could not recover. They had four turnovers in the fourth quarter, and yet they got the ball back. Down three. Yeah. I mean, they moved the ball pretty well, and, and it's weird. Like Chris said, Cousins does the same thing game after game. He shows you enough that you actually think, oh, he's he's pretty good. He's going to get you excited, and then he turns the ball over three or four well, times. Well, I think – but Chris's point is that haven't we seen enough to realize that this is not someone we want to center the offense around. I, I would agree with that. I think that th- this guy is still a project. RG3 will get his job back. That's what I'm saying. I yeah, think there's so. no way that, that they can keep him in. The Detroit Lions delivered another dominant defensive performance, holding the Minnesota Vikings to 212 total yards and a 17-3 win in Minneapolis. The Lions took care of business without Calvin Johnson, a very good sign for a rising team in the NFC and a team that's getting Chris Wessling excited. But Wes is going to share his thoughts (laughs) on the Lions. But before we do that, we want to get a man on the line who also is probably pretty excited about this Lions team. He is our Chicago around the NFL correspondent. He is a on the starting team in that uh, the metaphorical uh, starting five basketball scenario TD cooked up. He is Kevin Patra coming at you. How's it going, fellas? Big day. Big day. <laughs> I can tell. See, I hear it in your voice. There's so much joy around me. I feel nothing. I'm dead inside. Uh, Wes is agnostic, so he's just taking the NFL straight on. He's really all – he's a Josh McCown fan, basically, at this point. <laughs> But uh, Sad place. <laughs> Kevin Patcha, unabashedly a line supporter. Kev, what did you see out there today from this defense, which is really playing well? Yeah, they just completely dominated this game. Uh, they had eight sacks, 12 QB hits. Ezekiel Ansa, one of our making the leap candidates, was just all over the field, mm. just making Macleod look silly. How did you describe uh, it? The Vikings left tackle. <laughs> How did you describe it in your write-up? Uh, I think it was an 18th century uh, stone gargoyle. <laughs> but Stanson, Zicky was just going right around him. Teddy Bridgewater had no time. This is the best I've seen Lions play defense literally in my entire life. That's the best uh, so, wow. analogy game I've ever heard, too, out of Patra. I mean, our social media correspondent heard that little quote, and he just his eyes lit up, and he thought that's going out to 5 million followers on Twitter. Well, I think we need him to repeat that again. This is the best the Lions defense has ever played in your life? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was Patrick around for the Len Barney era. Old, I mean, by the way. You had the Scott Mitchell era and the Charlie Batch years. I, I mean, uh, yes. I, I They're number I one in the NFL, I think. In my memory. 
Pardon? They're leading the league, I think, in defense. Yes, they are. And they only gave up 212 yards or something today, total offense. And Bridgewater did, literally didn't have time to get to his second second check. Was he and moving well? Carol, was Bridgewater moving well? Uh, you know, he was. Actually, he did. He, that was the, the best point from him. He, he still has good footwork, footwork even when he has to move in the pocket and get out of the pocket. He just wasn't on target, and he didn't have time, and the Lions threw a lot of blitzes at him, so he didn't have a check down back out of the backfield. It was a lot of five-man rushes today, and he, his offensive line just failed him completely. I think the fantasy football world was thrown for a loop when Matt Asiata was a non-factor. How did Jarek McKinnon look? He, he, was, he was their best offensive player. Uh, he, he, didn't, he had 3.6 yards per carry, I think. He had 11 rushes, about 40 yards. But he was their most dynamic. Uh, he beat DeAndre Levy a couple times in space uh, out of the backfield on catches. Uh, he led him in both receiving and rushing yards, but he only totaled 82, which tells you how the Vikings did on offense today. Uh, but I think he's taken, taken, He's going to be the number one guy. Asiata had two carries for negative yards. He had an 18-yard catch out of the backfield near the end of halftime, but that was about it. He didn't play many stats at all. This is McKinnon's job going forward. And Corderell Patterson, you know, it's no longer a search and rescue mission. It's search and recovery, at least for his <laughs> fantasy value. It's over. Uh, anybody that was excited about Corderell Patterson having a nice breakout season, obviously the Browns have no, or obviously the Vikings have no idea how to use him. Again, basically a ziltoid in the stat column. And Greg's looking at the box score, trying trying to figure out how to sugarcoat this. But there's nothing every week, week after after week after week. It's like you're seeing five yards and two catches from this guy, or zero to one carries. Enough! What a what a nightmare! What's your fault for drafting him? Oh come on! It's not about that. Maybe it's a little bit bad that I drafted him, but also the fact that number one and are making the lead count. Have yeah, they uh, have they stopped giving all of his plays to Jarius Wright? Mm. Yep, that's it. Kevin Patra, always good to talk to you. Uh, stay warm. I imagine it's getting colder in the Midwest. Getting there. All right, later, man. All right, fellas. Thanks. The Chicago Bears remain one of the toughest teams in the NFL to figure out. Mark Tressman's team went into Atlanta and left with a 27-13 win over the Falcons, who have now lost three straight. Uh, both Alshon Jeffrey and Mar- Brandon Marshall went over 100 yards. Uh, Wes, uh, excuse me, Greg, you, you watch this game closely. It appears that we got the good Jay Cutler today. We got the great Jay Cutler. He put on a show in the first half of this game and then sailed to the finish line, 381 yards and a touchdown on only 38 attempts, and some of the throws were just beautiful. But this was kind of the Bears' offense I've been waiting to see, the one we saw a lot last year where Brandon Marshall is 100% healthy, and him and Jeffrey are going down the field for some vertical bombs. It was fun to see, and it was a convincing performance. I left this game thinking these are two teams really needed to win and Atlanta's a team that you can't really take seriously as a playoff contender anymore. Yeah, Dan said the Bears are hard to figure out. You sounded in the newsroom like you definitely have the Falcons figured out. <laughs> I think so. I think they're one of the worst teams in the league if it wasn't for Matt Ryan. I mean, he has no offensive line. He has no running game. The defense is terrible. Today, Julio Jones and Roddy White dropped five passes between them, so that's not going to happen most weeks, but... That's all they have is a quarterback. I mean, when you get pushed around, the score could have been a lot worse than 27-13 in this game. When you get pushed around like that in, by Chicago running the ball, I mean, I just feel I, like it's over. And I think I saw a tweet from you, Greg, where you mentioned a really uh, transparent part of the season premiere of Hard Knocks this past summer, and then it was it came up in subsequent episodes, this idea that the Atlanta Falcons oh, yeah. weren't going to be pushed around anymore and they were going to be tough SOBs and things were changing. No. No, I mean, that's all they talked about, that they want it to be tough, and they're one of the least tough teams in the league. I mean, they get, you weren't a liar. <laughs> I mean, they get pushed around up front on defensive line and the offensive line each and every week. You know, I think Wes was trying to set me up for that, and I didn't come through, and then Dan saved the day. Whew. I think we're all big Thomas Dimitrov fans. I was just about to ask about this. And I like his it, hair. It seems like there's a better chance that Mike Smith will take the fall than Dimitrov, but this is not – a good roster. Well, and and mm. Dimitrov has has been touted as one of the brightest young general managers year after year, and I he's done enough to. I think we believe he is. 
Well, I think we believe he is, but part of it is what you do in terms of when you when you become a successful team like they were, sustain, sustaining that. And they've got one of the weakest lineups on both lines, disastrous. And you got outside of a couple, you know, sexy skill position guys. What do the Falcons have that's special? Yeah. I mean, that it falls on Dimitrov. And there's urgent. There's got to be urgency when you have a quarterback as good as Matt Ryan is, and he's in his prime years. You don't want to burn him with a team without any talent around him. So they got to go back to the drawing board. This is what we agree. It's like a six to eight win team tops at this point. What we're seeing. Yeah, I, I mean, mean it's a lousy division, so they'll convince themselves they're in some sort of race, and they might be for that division to win seven or eight games. Right, but this I, is I not a contender, good. and they need to go back to the drawing board in the offseason and figure out a way to build a real team around this. Well, they'd guy. be smart not to just believe in that mirage that they're around <laughs> in the NFC South. There are issues on this team, and I think the heads are going to roll by the end of the season. That's why I was getting so upset watching them because yeah, I just feel like Matt Ryan is playing at a really high level right now, and it does show it's not all about the quarterback because. I promise you, if he was on most teams, they would be winning, and he would be, you know, talked about as a top five guy. But you need more than that. Well, the Lions' defense is giving quarterbacks. It seems like every week the worst games of their season. The Falcons are giving every quarterback the best game of their season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that takes us to Sunday Night Football. But really, I, I I try to put some voice into that to get people excited. But there's nothing to get excited about. The Eagles trounce the Giants. A game that. We thought it was going to be a great NFC East battle. Instead, 27-0. Eagles shut out win. LaShawn McCoy got back on track. Ran for 149 yards and 22 carries. That will help the uh, yards per carry average. Seven sacks by the Eagles. Uh, Just a a complete lopsided affair. Gentlemen, I ask you, what what are we to make sense of of this game? I mean, the Giants are playing so well. What happened? I, I thought going into this game, they had the most complete team in the NFC East. And my, I guess my main takeaway is, especially after losing Victor Cruz to a torn patellar tendon will end his season, that the Giants are now clearly no better than the third best team in the mm. NFC East. I'm not giving up on them because of one performance. I think we've seen in the NFL things change so much week to week. I mean, the Giants put together th- three really strong weeks on both sides of the ball that I think that team is still within them and they're capable of a stink bomb and the Eagles were overdue to have a complete sort of game. But just the the way it happened, the shutout, just sort of boggle, it boggles my mind. And the Victor Cruz injury, that is a awful, awful injury. It's a patellar injury, which is something that he's going to need surgery on, a long rehab. His season, although it hasn't been officially announced, is over um, almost certainly. Uh, the Giants, luckily, they have Odell Beckham back, and we saw again even today they didn't do anything offensively, but he's such, he's such a fluid, fast-moving player. You think that he could be a guy that could potentially step into a bigger role now? Yeah, definitely. He'll start outside with Ruben Randall, and Preston Parker will play the middle. And to me, I'm not worried about the blowout. That doesn't change my mind about the Giants at all, but Victor Cruz has been Eli's go-to receiver for three or four years now, and you lose him, you already lost Rashad Jennings for a few weeks, I, to me, they're just not as strong. Their offensive line, which had played so well, had a really rough performance. You mentioned in our uh, the takeaways that's up on the website right now, NFL.com, slash ATL. Ow! And what else? News. ATL is the old name, but it still will work yeah. around the NFL. Whatever you want. You mentioned that the offensive line struggled. Connor Barwin and Vinnie Curry combining for five sacks. Connor Barwin has been fantastic this year quietly for Philadelphia. He's about their best defensive player. Yeah, he's had a really good year, and Justin Pugh, I believe, allowed four sacks in mm. one game. Wow. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Darren Sproles also left this game with an injury, and look, by the time people hear this, maybe they'll know what the result is, but felt like some bad vibes around that one, and they're thin at running back, so that would that would be another big loss for them. It's like this is a week-to-week division. They get a, a bye next week, where, whereas the Giants go to Dallas, and that game becomes even even bigger for New York because if they lose that one too, then they're really uh, pretty far behind in the division. I'm definitely on the same page with Wes on this. I think the way this division is, the way all these teams are really, all, the way so many teams in the NFL are, you know, you look great one week, you look terrible the next. But Victor Cruz, they got to figure out a way to do, get something done. I You can't understate how important he's been to their offense for several years now. And uh, to watch him get carted off the field, that that's tough. That's going to be tough for them to figure out how to get past. Didn't all three of us pick the Giants? Seems yeah. like so long ago. 
I felt you heard us, Giants. You heard us real. <laughs> felt bad. super confident about the Giants coming I this did, week. We, we don't know anything. You heard don't, don't even listen. Listen to us. We don't know what's happening. Nobody knows. <laughs> One right. week is an eternity in the NFL. Exactly. All right. So. Exactly. No one knows. Even Vince didn't know. Well, he knew more than us. That's it for today's edition of the Around the NFL podcast. We will be back on Wednesday. Uh, so hang in there. Thank you for listening. Uh, send in more hashtags. Uh, contact TD about being uh, Win Greg's toaster. Until then, this is Dan Hansen signing off for the mailman, the sizzler, the boss, and TD behind the glass. Till Wednesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.